What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lenin Community Foundation. Today I'm joined by Michael Oates, Executive Director at St. Leonard's Community Services, an organization that works in partnership with many London institutions to rehabilitate people coming out of the justice system and works to prevent people from falling into trouble with the law in the first place. Hi, Michael. How are you today? I'm well, Diane. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and um, and the work that you do? Uh, sure. So I'm the executive director of St. Leonard's. Uh, I've been with the organization for a little bit over four years now. Um, I actually come from, uh, from a healthcare background, so worked as a physiotherapist for a number of years. Um, have worked in hospitals. I've worked in the uh, in the private sector. Prior to coming to uh, to St. Leonard's, I was the uh, director of a family health team here in London. Um, and then, um, yeah. So since I've joined St. Leonard's uh, four and a half years ago, it's been uh, it's been quite a journey. It's an amazing organization. So I do want you to share what St. Leonard's Community Services, what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also am compelled to know what drew you to make the switch from healthcare to St. Leonard. So where do you want to start with that? Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question to, to try and answer, Diane. So w- within healthcare, um, uh, and like where I was with the family health team, for example, again, it was a, it was an incredible organization. Uh, you know, we provided care to about 160,000 patients across the, uh, across the Thames Valley region. Um, and those patients, you know, within the, the family health team model, they had access to individuals like social workers or pharmacists, occupational therapists, all those different services that um, that an individual might need and that they could um, that they could really benefit from seeing. The the challenge that I had was those services were available at, at the time only to those 160,000 patients that uh, that the family health team served. There are so many people in our community that need assistance and, and, and need service. Some of the more uh, folks that might be a bit more marginalized that, you know, aren't able to, to access those things. And they, they just, um, they weren't able to, and not for any fault of their own. It was just the, uh, it was the way that the model was set up. One of the things that drew me to St. Leonard's is that, those people, those individuals that don't have um, have access to a, a lot of other services or or to the um, uh, to the programs that they might really benefit from, those are the people that St. Leonard's is uh, is focused on on providing uh, providing service to. So that was um, that kind of spoke to me uh, a bit at a at an individual level and was what drew me to the organization. It's it's an it's an interesting organization. A lot of people may have heard of St. Leonard's, but most people I find don't um, don't know what the organization does. So when I joined the organization, even my mother said, "Oh, you're going to St. Leonard's. What do they do?" Um, so even she didn't really know what the uh, what the organization does. Um, our the the roots of St. Leonard's are. Uh, within the, the justice world. So uh, about 50 some odd years ago in 1969, uh, we opened the, the first halfway house in, uh, in London. So a halfway house is 
Um, it's a it's a home for individuals that have been incarcerated in a in a federal prison and that are making the transition from prison back to community, um, but need some additional support. So they're not able to perhaps uh, transition straight back into community. Um, maybe they need uh, supervision for a time to get to, to get the, the care that they need or to um, just to ensure that the community is going to be safe when that individual uh, comes back. So that was um, that was how we started. Uh, since then, we've uh, we've grown and expanded quite considerably. Um, so now we have four different residential centers um, spread throughout the city of London that provide supports again to individuals that have been uh, incarcerated. Um, we also provide supports to people that might have uh, challenges with mental health or with addictions um, that uh, need some additional um, uh, need some stabilization. They're in a bit of crisis, perhaps, and uh, need a safe place to be. Uh, we operate a forensic, uh, forensic mental health uh, facility. So in partnership with one of our local hospitals, there's the uh, forensic, um, uh, the Southwest Center for Forensic Mental Health. In partnership uh, with them, we operate a, a residential center for people that have been in the forensic mental health system. And again, they're making that transition from not from a, a prison, but from a hospital setting back to the community and need that support to be able to, um, to make that uh, transition successfully. Uh, we have uh, programs for, um, it's a supported independent living program. So uh, in that program, we work with individuals that may have uh, developmental or intellectual challenges that are able to live on their own. But uh, again, they need some support to, um, to make sure that they are accessing the, um, the services that they need uh, to, to help them uh, engage in different uh, community activities, things that you and I might, um, might not even think about. Uh, for these individuals, it's, um, it's a bit more of a challenge. So we provide some supports to them. Uh, we also do a number of, um, we offer a number of programs for youth. So that can be everything from, uh, we work within the, uh, within the school system. So a teacher or a principal can, um, can call us and say, we're having a, a challenge with perhaps a particular youth, or perhaps it's a particular class. And our staff will go into, uh, into the school setting and work with a teacher and work with that class to help mediate. Uh, perhaps it's a conflict, or, I mean, it could be issues with bullying. It could be all of those types of things that uh, that youth might experience. So it's a combination then of residential programming and also off-site. That's correct. And um, for the residential piece, how long do you see your clients staying at your centre? Um, Diana can really vary. So we may have um, individuals that come to us and they might be with us for uh, for 30 days. We might have individuals that are with us for over a year, so it can be uh, it can be quite variable. When the when they're um, when they're with us, um, we're constantly assessing kind of what their needs are and, and what their what their support needs are, and if they are able to um, to uh, make that transition in a better way. We work very closely with other uh, with other agencies within the city, so it could be agencies that are offering supports around mental health or maybe substance use issues. Um, it can be parole, probation, uh, those types of individuals. So it's really a uh, it's really a wraparound service for those folks. Okay, that's really good. And you obviously you're working with the agencies that have expertise in particular areas, right? Yeah, correct. Um, and so the participants, like, so when so when they are phasing out, do they have a home to go to? Like, or or like, how do you determine what's next for them? How does that play out? 
Um, yes. So uh, the individuals that come to us when they're first revert, referred to us, we're already thinking about what that um, uh, what that transition plan is going to be. So the individuals that are coming to us, they're coming to us because they have roots within the within the London area. So usually it is a family of some type or um, some other type of um, uh, some other type of support network, so that when they are able to transition uh, from uh, from our centers to to living independently in the community, they have that support network around them. And how big of an operation are you if uh, for our listeners that haven't heard about your organization, just so they understand the scope of it, how mm -hmm. how large is your organization? Uh, so we have about one hundred and sixty full-time uh, staff. Uh, working across the organization so that's everything from our residential centers we're a housing first provider with the uh, within the city of london um, our youth program so yeah about about 160 staff so fairly large organization excellent very very impressive and so um i'm sure people are wondering like why do we need to invest in these types of programs um, if you could shed some light on that, like why why is it so important to be paying attention to an organization like yours, like St. Leonard's? Well, uh, I mean, I suppose, I suppose most, um, you know, the individuals that are coming to us, you know, their their humanity is uh, is I think worthy of um, worthy of supports, just like uh, you know you or I might be. Um, people that have been involved in the justice system they are going to be in our community you know whether um, whether they have supports or not the supports that we're able to provide them uh, keep them safer keep the community safer and it prevents the um uh, it prevents the likelihood of uh reoffending or recidivism is the is the uh, the phrase that we would use so by by being able to provide that support, we keep them perhaps out of the justice system later on in life. You know, when we're working with youth, I mean, we might be working with youth that are perhaps making some choices that in the future are not going to serve them so well. So it's um, it's important to be able to help them sort of correct some of those choices, learn how to make better choices, so that uh, later on in life they're not um, they're not dealing with the consequences of, um, of something that was perhaps the uh, a poor choice to make. And knowing that you're a housing first approach, um, so in the communities where you're located, what is the response like with um, the neighbors and stuff like that, knowing that you're there? Or do they even know that you're there? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, they, they certainly do. And that's... Uh... That's a, a common thing that we hear. Um, I think that the, I mean, I can't speak for them, obviously, but we have a very good relationship with the uh, the neighbors that we do have. I know that in the um, uh, within our uh, within our world, there have been uh, you know concerns raised about you know property value or or crime in the uh, in the neighborhood just simply because of the 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 type of individuals that might be coming to stay with us. Um, but the um, the actual evidence in the research doesn't play that out. So what you uh, what you tend to find is that market values in the in the areas that we are they grow at the same rate as uh, as market values in uh, in other areas. Crime doesn't tend to be uh, t tend to be any higher in the areas that we're located in than it does in other areas. I mean, as a housing first provider, we operate uh, pretty much throughout the city. And I suspect that a lot of people don't even realize that uh, that their neighbors or the people that live down the hall from them uh, might be individuals that are receiving service from us. Could you shed some light as to where your funding comes from? So uh, we're funded by all three levels of government. So we have um, 
uh, funding from federal government, from provincial and uh, municipal. Uh, so it's it's uh, sort of spread across the gamut. Uh, within the provincial system, we have funding through the uh, Ministry of Children, Community and Social Services, uh, Ministry of Health, um, Ontario Health. Uh, those two are kind of, uh, they kind of align together. Uh, Ministry of the Solicitor General, Ministry of the Attorney General. Um, we have funding agreements with um, with the Thames Valley District School Board and the uh, London Catholic School Board for our school-based programs. Um, as a housing first provider with the uh, with the City of London, we're one of the um, one of the organizations that's working within the homelessness prevention system. Um, and we also have uh, agreements with some of our local hospitals. We do know that there are donors that support your organization. So where, what are the gaps there? Why is donor support needed for St. Leonard's Community Services? Uh, um, interestingly, Diane, we don't um, we don't tend to see a, a lot of support from uh, from donors, and I think part of that is. Um, uh, there's donors have a lot of choice about where they're um, where they could potentially you know donate uh, donate funds to, and things like you know mental health, um, uh, children, and so on. Those things are um, uh, they tend to be more at the at the the front of mind for for folks. I think that donating to you know what oftentimes would be seen as you know people that are involved in the in the justice system or people that have you know broken the law. Why would I donate funds there? So we don't tend to see a lot of uh, of donations. Um, uh, our housing first program does. Uh, I mean, we have been fortunate to receive um, receive donations, but it's not been a uh, it's not a a, um, a main source of funding for us. And would you like to see uh, more of donors to step up and support St. Leonard's? We know that um, that uh, the sources of funding are not unlimited. There's a lot of needs across the um, you know across the across the nation for for uh, funding, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education. I mean, all of those things that we hear about every day. Um, so you know, just not unlike other community agencies that we work alongside, we're all in the in the uh, the same boat. Funding is always uh, one of the one of the biggest challenges for us. Um, you know, I'm not going to be surprising anybody if I talk about, for example, the cost of housing, right? So we know that, you know, the, um, the cost and the availability of affordable housing is, um, is certainly an issue that uh, any agency that's doing housing work is facing, right? So when, along with our Housing First program, we also offer um, like supportive housing programs, again, to try and, and uh, make sure that individuals are able to, to stay out of the justice system where, uh, where they can. Um, so, you know, having enough funding to secure housing for uh, for folks is a is a tough one. Um, you know, staffing is is always a challenge as well. The work that uh, the work that the people within this organization do is is often very very tough work. Um, and you know, making sure that we're able to uh, attract the people that um, that believe in the work that we do and that can uh, that can deliver it effectively that's always a huge challenge as well. Like for many other agencies within the city. Oh, I'm sure because you're dealing with complex issues, right? Absolutely. So can you share any success stories about the clients you've served? Obviously um, without naming names. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, perhaps I'll, I'll give you a couple if that's all right. Um, one of the ones that that uh, that comes to mind was um, a woman that was in one of our, our residential centers. Um, she had been incarcerated in prison after uh, after robbing a bank. And when she, when she was um, when she came to us, she was having a, a, a tough time making that that transition. She had a lot of um, 
self-identified issues with, with anger, um, like not sure how to direct her energies. Um, and our team worked with her um, uh, and like connected her with other uh, various agencies. We helped her. Um, uh, so she was of an indigenous background. We helped her make some connections back to her indigenous community and, and get some supports there. And she was with us for about, um, so she was one that was with us for about six months. And when she left, she actually wrote us a, a, a lovely letter to, to talk about how important it was for her to to make those connections. Um, and she had a, a support plan going back. She was receiving support for her, um, some of the mental health challenges that she was uh, experiencing. And that connection back to the uh, to the indigenous community was really important for her. So seeing that uh, the success that she had, that was, um, you know, that was a good one from the residential side. Um, another example that I might give is within one of our, uh, one of our youth programs. Uh, so we had a, a young person that was with us for um, about six months, and while she was uh, she was here, this wasn't a, a residential program, so this was one of our, our community-based programs, uh, and while she was with us, she was able to uh, complete all the credits that she needed to uh, receive her high school graduation diploma, so something that, you know, School was certainly not one of her um, one of her priorities early on, um, but you know, again, working with the uh, the staff and our youth programs, uh, she was able to to accomplish you know getting her her graduation diploma and just you know seeing the um, the smile on her face when she finished and realizing that you know having that diploma opens up so many potential doors for her uh, for her future. So that was a uh, a huge success as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you see that all the time, like these beautiful stories that come out uh, with the clients you serve. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that the impact that you're making on mm -hmm. lives, you know, and, so. And sometimes it's, um, sometimes we just get a, a quick email from someone. We had, um, we got an email from uh, a young man that had been with us again as a youth. And he told us about the fact that his, um, he just had his second child with, uh, you know, having a, a growing and developing family. And it was something that he never thought that, uh, that he would experience. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So Michael, can you expand a little bit more around the partnerships that you have? Um, any of the limitations you may face or successes in, in securing these partnerships? Sure. Um, so, I mean, one of the partnerships that we have is with uh, St. Joseph's Healthcare and the uh, the Southwest Center for Forensic and Mental Health. And so that partnership was um, uh, came out of uh, um, a model through the the Ministry of Health to to assist those individuals that are within the forensic mental health system. And for those that that may not know exactly what that means, sometimes you'll hear uh, that people have been found um, not criminally responsible for something because of uh, mental health issues that they might be experiencing. So those people spend a, a, a uh, can spend again. It could be months. It could be years within the within the forensic mental hospital, um, and when they're able to 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 come out of that hospital, oftentimes they were coming back to community, but they didn't have those supports. And making that transition can be difficult. So, to give you an example, Diane, we had one individual that had been in hospital for 18 years, and I mean, think about um, you know trying to transition from hospital to living independently after being in a hospital system for for 18 years. That's a that's a tough transition to make. Um, so that partnership really came about with the uh, the support of um, 
the provincial ministry of health uh, to set up this transitional uh, rehabilitation housing program and um, St. Joseph's and St. Leonard's were the two organizations in our region that uh, that were able to uh, facilitate uh, setting up that uh, uh, that system within and the within sorry. the school and just yeah. because like wow a person that's been in the hospital for 18 years to transition into community so how how did that is this impact the individual like how were do you have any updates on how this person's doing? I have to well, ask. Well, I mean, it's a fascinating thing, right? Yes. I mean, th think about like in our own lives, how much has changed over the uh, over the past eighteen years. And I mean, when this individual was coming out, it was a uh, it was a few years ago. So I mean, even like cell phones and iPhones, right? Like we take them for granted now. I mean, eighteen years ago, I mean, how many of us had an iPhone? Probably, you know, not very many, um, right? So the uh, I mean, again, the 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 work that our staff do is to try and and figure out what that person needs. Right? It's so individualized. It's like what you know, what's the individual need? Like, what are their, you know, do they have employment needs? Do they have schooling needs? Do they have needs for you know ongoing care? Is it um, around mental health issues, or is it um, you know assistance with you know, finding housing, right? So it can be all of those, uh, all of those, those things that, uh, that we try and support that person with. And sorry, you were going to give me another example of a partnership. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about the, uh, the work that we do within, uh, within our local school boards. Um, you know, it, the, uh, we often have, uh, it can be teachers or uh, school administrators, principals reaching out to us to come in and assist with a class or with, um, it could be everything from, uh, bullying to episodes of racism within uh, within a uh, within a class or within a school, and the um, our team that works within the within the school board. I mean, probably one of our most in demand uh, the services that we offer. We're probably I, I would say pretty much at capacity in terms of how much we're able to offer. Uh, but again, the 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 potential long term impacts of that type of early intervention and and preventative uh, type of of intervention can be can be huge later on, right? So if we were able to um, uh, to be able to do more within the within the school system, that would be the the, the potential um, the potential positive outcomes from that would be huge. Okay, so finally, Michael, um, what do you think Lenin can be, and how do you think we can get there together? Well, Diane, I knew you were going to ask this question. Um, so what are the things that uh, that St. Leonard's is uh, is doing so. We really embrace the idea of uh, res restorative practices or a restorative philosophy, and a restorative philosophy is based in the the idea of um, when, when something has has gone sideways and and you've had a conflict between individuals or who, family members or somebody that has broken the law. The restorative approach is about repairing the the damage that has been done to those relationships and not at the not um, saying that people don't aren't, aren't held accountable and they have um, they have reparations to make but really based in the idea of of repairing those relationships uh, so we talk about um, you know our, our system is often doing two or or sometimes it's doing for, whereas restorative approaches are doing with. So really working with the individual to, to uh, course correct, to help the, the a potential victim, for example, be able to, uh, to come to terms with what they've experienced. So when I think about what London can be, I think that's where I, I, I would like to see London go is more towards that 
Um, you know, we're trying to become a restorative agency here at St. Leonard's. We could become a restorative city, right? So, and that means, you know, being able to have perhaps a bit more compassion for some of the individuals that we see. I mean, definitely one of the the barriers that um, that we experience for a lot of the individuals that that we're dealing with is the stigma around people that are involved in the justice system or people that are homeless or people that are struggling with substances. If we all had a little bit more compassion and could work at, you know, building those relationships and building community, I think that we could do uh, we could do some amazing things. So that's that's where I'd like to uh, to see. Um, or that's what I think London could be. And I think that that's somewhere that we could get together. Well said. And I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one, because without having that empathy and compassion for the people that are in these vulnerable situations, and regardless of how you see it, their past, or um, we're all humans at the end of the day. And we deserve second chances and a helping hand because we don't know their backstory and what led them to these situations. So definitely lead with that for sure as one of my colleagues used to say we're all just one bad decision away from becoming one of our clients oh absolutely (laughs) for sure it's true and uh exactly so thank you for sharing that thank you thanks for joining us for this episode of what lending can be look for us wherever you get your podcasts For more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca forward slash what Lenin can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for listening to us.